0: Hi there and welcome to episode 11 of the In The Hood podcast. Today we'll be speaking to Roger Thornton, a marketing professional with over 30 years of experience working in the broadcast and media industry. We'll be discussing what makes marketing communications tick in our industry and how organisations like the IABM have adapted during the pandemic. Really hope that you enjoy this episode. How are you today, Roger? You Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's still alive. That's always a plus when you reach my age and you wake up in the morning and think, yes, another day, great stuff.
0: <laughs> Good to hear, mate. Um, so we'll get straight into the questions then, if that's okay with you, Roger. That's fine, far away. Awesome. So, first question, Roger How did you get started in the broadcasting and media industry? And was it always destined to be this way?
1: <laughs> well, first thing i say, I'd I, I like to say I'm flattered to be asked to do this podcast. Um, oh, cool. I'm not sure I've actually got much that's interesting to say, though. Uh, don't be silly. Um, and you're also, you're about to discover why I've happily spent my career behind the camera or sort of back of house rather than in front of it. Um, I'm not a, I'm not a great front person talker. So I, I just compose the words for other people to say usually. But anyway, um, I arrived in this industry purely by accident, actually. Um, I've always been a bit mixed up. I, at school, I was sort of doing maths and physics and I thought, and I was doing English as well because I couldn't quite make my mind up and. When I went to university, I started off, did one year of engineering and thought, don't like this. So I changed to an English degree. Um, so that's actually been quite an advantage in, in some ways, because I can at least get a grasp of some of the basic technology. You know, I'm not completely useless on technology. I'm not, as, as my colleagues will tell you, I'm not very good either. But back in the day, I had, I had a reasonable command of it. I began my career, actually, that when, when I got my English degree, I then started my career as an engineer. And um, I was working in an air conditioning company, and after about a year, the marketing director came to me and he said, um, he said, "I need a marketing services manager." I said, "Well, what's that?" And he said, "Well, never mind what it is." He said, um, "But you, I think you'd be all right at this." He said, "The bad news is you've got to wear a suit and tie." And back in the day, that was absolutely doory girl what you had to do. He said, "But the good news is you're going to get a pay rise and you're going to get a company car." So I said, "Well, yes, please, I'll have that." So what do I do? He said, well, don't, don't you worry about that. He said that. So the first day I started on it, he took me to meet the editor of heating and ventilating news, a gentleman by the name of Keith Sutton. Now I was in air conditioning. So heating and ventilating news was the industry Bible at the time. And there was obviously there was no internet. This is talking back in the mid eighties. It was well early eighties. Actually there was no internet, none of that. So you lived or died by what appeared in the trade press and B news in particular was, um, the 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 most feared and and most avariciously read magazine in the industry so that was a he he really laid out the do's and don'ts from a PR point of view and I found that immensely helpful and I don't know if Keith's still around but I rather doubt the years because that was back in the days when journalism consisted of lunch that started at 12 and finished about 11 o'clock <laughs> that night <laughs> um a bit different nowadays obviously. Never learned any of that since, obviously. Um, of course, the job marketing services manager, as it was then, it wasn't just PR. It was all the brochures, the advertising, um, exhibition stands, the direct marketing, which of course was mail at the time, which you, you quite like getting a piece of direct mail nowadays. But believe me, back <laughs> yep. then it was it was the same yeah. as a spam email, basically. So you had to fight, fight to get attention. So mm-hmm. you, know, you had to be a bit creative and, and good, but in a different way from today. Anyway, that was that was that was all right, and I like to think when I sort of appeared excited and you know enthusiastic about what I was doing, but actually I was getting a bit bored because you can't re- you know air conditioning, lovely as it is, you can't really get passionate about it. And I so one afternoon in early '85, I was leafing through the back of Marketing Week magazine, just looking at the job ads, and I found an agency there. And so I just sent them my CV, and they called me the next day and said, "I think we've got just the job for you." So uh, a couple of interviews later, mid '85, I started at QuanTEL. I had no clue about digital technology, obviously, and at the time, QuanTEL was absolutely the world leader in that. About a week into the job, I was uh, put on the company helicopter and flown down to uh, Southampton, I think it was. Then put on the company jet and flown to uh, Switzerland. And then picked up by private taxi from the airport and taken to uh, my hotel, which was a suite with a balcony overlooking the lake in in Montreux. This was for the Montreux exhibition. I thought I think I've it's really a far
0: cry from air conditioning. and the isn't right it? thing joining this company
1: here. Yeah, yeah. And it was just really exciting. I mean, Quantel, yeah, I, I'd struck gold basically. Quantel was the world leader at the time, and and we had. Yeah, you know, they just launched the paint box at that time and then came a machine called Harry and a machine called Henry, and then all sorts of other just fantastic inventions that really changed the TV industry from an analog world to a digital world. It was very exciting um, great company, great people and I had what fifteen twenty twenty five even great years there and in about two thousand Quantel performed a management buyout and it went okay for a while, but then the private equity backers got rid of um, the two people who were really the inspiration behind the company, the, the great Richard Taylor, who was the managing director, and Paul Keller, who was the R&D director. I think I, things were never quite the same after that, because um, they were the ideas engine of the company. It, the company went through various sort of acquisitions and things, and then by the it got to 2015 and I don't know if you were around then I, by the look of you I suspect you weren't
0: <laughs> not in this <laughs> um, industry no. but
1: the, the, the company was finally renamed as, brought together with Snell and all that stuff and mm-hmm. it was renamed Sam it's no longer Quantel and I just thought I think it's time you know to uh, up stick yeah, yeah. so I basically I left Quantel uh, back at, at the end of IBC 2015 uh, and then wondered what I was going to do really I mean, over the years, I'd sort of had uh, plenty of sort of discussions with people about setting up agencies and things, but it, ne- it never came about for for whatever reasons. I just decided after a month or two that I was going to go freelance and um, do my own, see how I'd get on as a as a consultant, as it were. Most one of the, one of the most hated words besides the state agent, and I think. And lawyer, perhaps in the English language, but there you go.
0: <laughs> um, so that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and here we are now. So uh, I guess I'd like to ask. I'm curious about you know what was one of the key takeaways from your 30 year reign as head of publicity at Quantel, then?
1: I thought about this quite hard. Uh, I I think that I think I'd probably say just a couple of things. Really, the first one I'd say is hire the very best people you can, um, preferably ones that are better at doing the job than you are. It, 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 some people I think um, tend to want to hire people who are less good than them so they can look at well actually it doesn't work like that you hire the best people you possibly can and the whole thing you end up with a great team and everybody lifts each other so that was the first one and, and I think the second thing I would say is that my point of view um, promotion is not always a blessing um, I've always preferred doing the writing and, and talking to the customers the press etc uh, rather than managing other people to do it and um, after about 15 years of running a continuing growing department that got to nearly 20 people in the end, I managed to pass on the management bit to a staff member who was crying out to be promoted. So she took over all the staff issues and I just got back to doing what I really love full time as a result, which is the writing and the communicating and talking to people. So, so those, those are my two takeaways. Hire the best people and promotion isn't always necessarily a good thing even though it might mean more money
0: would you agree with the phrase that all oh, publicity is good publicity or
1: well richard taylor the managing director you, you when we used to get bad press because we did get bad press because we did a few things that made us a bit unpopular at times like suing other companies he always used to say to me did they spell our name right <laughs> And So I think that from his point of view, I think he would certainly say that all publicity is good publicity. I think what, I think it is if you're honest. If you're trying to fool people, um, then that kind of publicity is not good publicity. But if you're honest up front and you believe in what you're doing, then I think you, all publicity is good publicity, yes.
0: Yeah, 100%. So I know you've already kind of covered this, Roger, but what actually drove you to start Artie Markoms? And could you explain, you know, what you guys cover for anyone who doesn't know?
1: Well, yeah, Artie Markoms is just me, first of all. I didn't have any, you know, having said what I said about staff and things, I didn't have any yeah. wish to, uh, you know, build an empire. I mean, in fact, I mean, over the years, I have had the, I think, I said various discussions about leaving Quantel and going off to form agencies. Um, Thing about that is I know full well from watching other people start companies that your first five years it's your it's your whole life um, you know I'm talking hundred hours a week plus kind of thing and yeah. one of the things that I've, I've I've been wrestling with Crohn's disease since I was an early teenager and you have to learn to live within your limitations with that so the kind of stress that would come with launching a, a full-on company just I, you couldn't risk it because you'd probably end up being ill and then the whole thing would go down the tubes and you'd be in debt and all the rest of it. So those things never came about. Um, but as I sort of reached towards the you know, the, the less responsibilities end of my career, if you like, the children growing up and all that sort of stuff, mortgage paid off.
0: Hey, there you go. <laughs> nice one. <laughs>
1: um, you know, it, it's, it ha- going, venturing out on my own was far less of a risk, yeah. um, Which is which is... And I just thought it was just the time to do it. Um, I didn't really know how. uh, Initially, I thought, well, I can build it up to full-on, full-time job. But actually, when I reached three days a week, that suited me absolutely perfectly in terms of having more time to do the things, not work things that I enjoy doing. Um, So I sort of left left it running at about that level, really, uh, for the last five years. And it's been great. I've really enjoyed myself. So, uh, And as, as for Artie Marcoms, the only reason it, it's got a, a name rather than just Roger Thornton is that when I, I went to see an accountant when I first got started to get the basic advice, and she said to me across the table, it'd be much better if you gave your outfit a name for, for can you think about it quickly so i just said rt rt Markham's okay there it is so that was it so that is not very creative but that's how it came about oh,
0: i think that, i think it was really clever actually I, I imagined in my head that you had you know a uh, three-hour brainstorming <laughs> session
1: no they don't work on me my brain doesn't my brain won't concentrate for three hours no just, just
0: <laughs> sitting around but the fact that that was just spare at the moment that's that's so much better yeah yeah that's uh so it's quite quite a broad question, I guess. But but what tips? Well, what are some of the main tips that you'd give someone who's starting out on a kind of marcoms career? I think
1: yeah. Well, I think there's, there's just a few things, really. I think the the. I mean, I'm going to assume that you you have good good basic communication capabilities, and and you like people, if, because if you don't, then you probably shouldn't be doing the job. And you know, having worked with a bunch of engineers over the years who don't like people, um. They're brilliant engineers, but they probably wouldn't make very good mark on people. But, uh, so, so Okay, so here's the basic advice, I think. So first of all, don't go in cold. Research your subject and, and, and come up with the right questions. And then key to this, then listen. Because all the time you spend talking is a lost opportunity to glean useful information from the person you're talking to. So become a good listener, first thing, um, as well as doing your research. People hate it if you get their name wrong, or you don't, know what, you don't know what they do, or you don't know what their company does. So just go in and always go in armed. Um, second thing is, I'm gonna assume you know how to write, but writing concisely and clearly for, for marketing communications is a very different skill. And also your audience, particularly in terms of the press, are all, without exception, great writers. And if you submit to them lousy copy, they talk about it amongst themselves, and they are less likely. I'll go back to this chap, his Sutton, H B News. When I walked into his office, he said, look at my desk, and it was a complete mess. He said, but there's three piles of paper on there. One was the press releases, a very small pile, from companies that he knows it's going to be good stuff. He's going to use it. The next pile was considerably larger, and that was from the ones where he would think about using it if he didn't have enough stuff from the first pile. So they were reasonable stuff, and the third pile, which was huge, was rubbish from people who couldn't write, didn't have anything to say, and just were spewing stuff out. And he said that pile just moves from the edge of my, my my desk into the bin. So you know, so writing, good writing, is key. And if you want to be taken seriously, then you've got to got to do it mm-hmm. on that subject of writing. And I'm guilty of this myself, but I use it in a limited. What's that word? The limited and specific way. Um, Always avoid superlatives if possible. You know, world beating, seamless, whatever, all those things. First of all, they just make copy harder to read. And secondly, journalists hate that because they have to then edit them all out. Unless you put them in a quote from somebody, of course, in which case they're perfectly allowable. So, you know, Roger Thornton said PR is the greatest, most fantastic thing ever. You, you, You could put that in quotes and that would be fine. But uh, now I do sometimes use them, and, and anybody watching this will go, "Rog, you're yeah, yeah, sound yeah. quite
0: guilty sometimes." But so.
1: Be careful with it. Anyway, <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Now. And uh, the final thing is, most people's favourite subject is themselves. Forget people talking about themselves. It comes back to that being a listener thing I was talking about at the beginning. People love talking about themselves, and you can build a great relationship by. You come to the end of a conversation, a you know, half an hour conversation with somebody, and they'll know nothing about you. You'll know everything about them, and it will enable you to write a much much better piece at the end of it all. So that, that's that's boiling down the tips, really.
0: And I think that's uh, some cracking advice there, Roger. So obviously we talk about this whole concept of integrated marketing communications and making sure all your marketing communications are trying not to use superlatives <laughs> as well, but they're all along the same lines and they're all you know they're cohesive. So how important do you think that a consistent powerful approach to marketing communications in our industry is? Because to me it's always seemed as if you know this industry in particular thrives off of obviously beer word of mouth and and personal relationships. I
1: I think every industry um, thrives off them. I think that and I think that you know with the lack of exhibitions now we're really seeing there is no substitute for face to face whether it's whether it's over beer or, or a cup of coffee. I mean I think face-to-face is vital but it isn't everything and particularly in these times um people are having to be much more creative i mean having said that about i expect to see an explosion of relief when exhibitions start happening again in in the meantime um we're going to have to put more effort into non-face-to-face although we're sort of face-to-face it's not the same as sitting in the same room is it it's
0: as close as it'll get isn't it at the moment yeah
1: I think that done properly, you know, good marketing communications, i.e., a great product to shout about, or a great service and a great company, marcoms works. The trick, and I don't have the answer to this one, but the trick is to stand out from your competitors in a crowded marketplace. You know, what is your secret source, really? And, and that's your central weapon. And you then build your marcoms campaign on whatever that is. So it's probably not seen this end to end world beating. <laughs> Uh, digital technology it's it's a specific thing that you're that you're good at you know what you've built your company and something you can capitalize on stick to stick to that yeah simple
0: messaging i think that's a good shot um so moving over to to what you guys are doing at the iabm at the moment so what kind of activities have you been carrying out to overcome the impact of covid because by the looks of things, you guys have been incredibly busy at the moment.
1: It's uh, actually I have to say that uh, I mean I'm I'm not actually a staff at IBM. I I, I work for them as a contractor. They're my you know, my main client, if you like, which is, yep. and I love working with them. They have been absolutely amazing from the start of the pandemic. They sort of they made a very decisive and early move to support all of their members um, with a huge range of virtual events and webinars and online. Um, shop windows nice. and everything possible to get them in front of their potential customers and also a bunch of special reports looking at the trends that are emerging out of the pandemic and, and guidance on how to sustain your business through into whatever the new, new normal is. I think what's become apparent, certainly from IBM's research, is that the pandemic hasn't actually fundamentally changed anything. What it's done is massively compressed the timescale for changes that are already train. So you know the move to the cloud, SaaS business models, etc. All the things. These were all in progress, but they were going to take years. And that whole process has been compressed into months now. And the companies that are succeeding are the ones that have re- recognised this and grasped the opportunity, if you like. And IBM has been very, very forward in giving its all of its members, not just the big boys who've got the budgets to do their own events, giving all its members a platform to talk to. Their customers. And the other thing that IBM's done is build, is continues to do as well, is to build up a, a, a big bank, if you like, a, a relationship with a lot more end users. So there are, we call them globally engaged partners. Um, there's a lot of them now who look to IBM to to see what's going on and also to provide the communications channels to the suppliers. Um, in fact, I mean, IBM, they've just announced a thing called BAM Live, which is coming up at the beginning of December, which is sort of building on all of those, all of that experience. I think IBM's probably got more experience than anybody else in the industry of virtual events and promotions now as a result of what it's been doing. So I expect that event to be a real cracker to end out the year and get people set up, ready for 2021.
0: I think I've been watching in awe at, at obviously what the IABM are doing at the moment and just the sheer amount of content you guys are putting out. It's incredible.
1: It's a fantastic team. Yeah. I mean, we're learning lots as well, and we're going to be changing the the website and all that sort of stuff to accommodate it yeah. more. You know, we're, we're, we've been learning too. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it's, it's, been, it's been very exciting, yeah.
0: This is a question that we tend to ask guests to try and keep to one word if possible. Um, you can obviously go on and expand it afterwards, but what do you see as the future for the broadcasting and media industry?
1: Um, I'm going to give you three words, actually. Very bright indeed. I don't see broadcast and media anymore as a discrete sector. I think with what's been going on with all the OTT stuff, plus video becoming mainstream in venues and all, all over the place, I think the potential for media technology suppliers is huge over the coming years. I think, yes, there's going to be a bit of a shakeout you know, as a result of the, the transitions that have been in progress and that have been accelerated by COVID. But I think that at the end of it all, well, there is, there is no end, obviously, but you know, when 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 we look back in a couple of years' time, we'll think, crikey, that's really accelerated stuff. And we're in a much better place now than we were two years ago when we were a bit tied to legacy practices, perhaps, because they felt more comfortable. Everybody's had to move out of their comfort zone. I think that's been great for the industry. And the explosion of home entertainment and, as I said, the use of video and all sorts of other communications, future is very bright for broadcast and media.
0: Love it, Roger. So are there any exciting projects in the pipeline for the IABM or RTM that you can talk about?
1: Well, I mentioned the um, the BAM Live event coming up at this three-day event, but it's only, we've learned, so it's, it's as though it's a three-day event, it's just three hours a day, and that comprises three 45-minute sessions with, with breakouts and chats and rooms and that sort of stuff in between. So we've learned short and sweet, pick your targets, you know, so they're right on topic all the nine themes across the three days. There's a lot of building towards that going on. I mean that's the big biggest project we've got going on at IABM.
0: So how can people get in touch with the IABM and RT Marcoms if they want to find out anything more about what you're doing?
1: IABM website is always a great place to start. It's got the most fantastic repository of, of content on there covering every subject you want to know about, and that's the IABM.org. Um if anybody wants to talk to me, <laughs> they can find me on social media or roger at com or Thornton at com. You know, or, or just ask somebody for my phone number. It's fine. I'm very
0: happy to talk to anybody. Yeah, there's always going to be someone who knows you, Roger, isn't
1: there? Uh, yeah, well, when you've been around for as long as I have, I'm afraid so, yeah. <laughs> although, although, actually, just on that, you know, I'm gradually watching. Um, Colleagues of many years retiring out of the industry, and i have actually I'm actually past that age as well. But I rather enjoy it, so I think I'm just going to carry on for a while anyway. Yeah,
0: you often see it called on LinkedIn semi-retirement, don't you? Because it, it seems as though this industry, no one wants to fully retire. They always want to keep. Well, it's because it's so
1: exciting. So, they, you know, it really is. I love it. I mean, I you know I love to able to have, have a job where you get up in the morning and you think yes, rather than. Mm-hmm. And come rolling on five o'clock kind of yes. thing
0: yeah so i mean you know after it all are you glad that you kind of took the leap into quantel at the very beginning and and well even that just that marketing services kind of job yeah it
1: was fantastic it was absolutely fantastic and a, a chap who who originally sent me that direction brian Horsfield, we still keep in touch regularly and i still thank him regularly yeah
0: so that's uh, everything Roger I don't know if you wanted to add anything else or
1: no I just uh, thank you for being
0: interested I'll no be... of course thank you so much for I'm not on. sure there's
1: much to be had out of no it, I think but... that was brilliant yeah, it's been good